from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Jonathan Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for joining the show. So, you know, recently Amazon delivered some pretty major news, and it was major news for the marijuana industry. The company, recognizing an increase in adult-use states, announced changes to its drug testing policy, saying it will now treat marijuana like it treats alcohol and not screen employees for using it. And to understand what this means for Amazon and for the larger country and for companies out there, we have with us Nick Scavio, who is a senior counsel at Bianchi and Brandt. His practice includes business, cannabis, and commercial litigation in Arizona and Utah. Nick, thanks so much for joining the program. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. So how big a deal is this, this announcement by Amazon to stop drug testing for many of its or most of its employees for marijuana? Well, I, I think simply put, it is a it is a tremendously big deal. Everybody in this country knows what Amazon is. I would be I'd be shocked to see the number of people who haven't used an Amazon service uh, in their life. And the reason that's important is because when Amazon does anything, it makes news. People pay attention, good or bad. And this is certainly one of those announcements that helps destigmatize and legitimize the greater cannabis industry in the United States. And they also uh, announced that they support national legalization of marijuana, which is also major. Sure. And that and that might actually be quietly kind of the bigger news. I mean, right now, the, the number one impact on individuals, potential job seekers, is the fact that they can now apply to Amazon certain jobs. There, there are still, they specifically carved out certain drivers subject to the United States Department of Transportation regulations, which makes sense. They've still got to follow federal law um, in those respects. However, it feels like every single day, and I know specifically in Arizona, Amazon is uh, opening a, a distribution center, uh, I would assume relatively soon. And so every day Amazon announces more hiring, more distribution, more employees. And so now employees can go to Amazon without worrying about being shunned at the door is basically as soon as they have to take that pre-hired drug test, which certainly is a very big deal. And then what I was mentioning uh, a moment ago is that their support of the MORE Act, which we can get into a, a little bit momentarily, but signifies that they are going to support and, my guess, is assist the efforts to federally deschedule marijuana, which I think a lot of us in the industry, and I, I'm sure you yourself, have been eyeing for the last couple of years. And uh, I, I think the most recent election made people even more cautiously optimistic that we would see it in the next uh, three or four years. So whether or not the MORE Act is the specific act that gets it done, which remains to be seen, it does signify that Amazon is going to do more, I think, than just send a press release out about their support. I hope so. So for those who might not be familiar with the MORE Act, you don't have to get into the very details, but just kind of large overview. What, what does the MORE Act say? So the MORE Act overall, it's, it's the biggest thing about it is it's a 
It's a descheduling, uh, de let me repeat that, uh, descheduling from the, the class one narcotic that, that marijuana is currently labeled by the federal government, which among other things says it serves no medical value whatsoever on the same lines of meth. And so it, what the MORAC does is first it deschedules it from a class one narcotic, but it goes further than that as well. It actually creates an office of cannabis justice. It takes certain precautions to ensure that those who use cannabis cannot be limited or restricted to federal support, federal funds, uh, that sort of thing. And it also creates what many states are doing individually is a sort of social equity or social justice type of program where money and tax revenue from the sale of marijuana is put back into communities, back into education, and overall helping those who have been unfairly targeted by the war on drugs uh, get an upper hand in the legal cannabis industry. I mean, it's a it's a great bill and one that we all favor, certainly cannabis advocates. And yet, I don't know, looking at how broken Washington is these days, it seems almost unimaginable that it would pass. Do you feel more optimistic about it than I do? (laughs) Specifically, and I am not completely in tune to what, what the federal government is doing. I think many of the cannabis attorneys focus on their states because that's where we get things done. That's where we actually help our clients. But right now, no. (laughs) And the reason I say no is because essentially everything that I've read, basically dating back to when it first started, is that the feedback on the Hill was that the Senate was never going to let the bill see the light of day. And I think similar sentiments came from the, the Safe Banking Act which I, I know you just recently uh, sat down and discussed. So I have I have a feeling that the MORE Act is not going to be the one that gets it done. And part of that is also because all the rumblings about Chuck Schumer and his bill that we haven't really heard any details about, but that, that the fact that he's still quietly working on that and, and there's been support for that, despite the fact that nobody knows what's actually in it. It leads me to believe that that would be the more likely successful bill. So let's get back to the drug testing issue. Is this an issue that you see come up in your practice a lot? Are people losing jobs? And this might not sort of cross over into your purview of the type of law that you practice, but are people losing jobs or are your colleagues talking to you about this? because they tested positive for marijuana? And are you seeing more and more companies kind of follow suit with what Amazon is doing and have a more liberal policy towards this? Well, in my representation, we represent a lot of companies that are in the cannabis space. So as you can imagine, it would be counterproductive and counterintuitive for those companies to to test for marijuana. So what I have heard is more anecdotal. Certainly, there have still been cases where people with medical marijuana cards, if they're tested and employers are testing them, they are losing their jobs. And that sparks major litigation because there's now you're getting into Health Protective Acts and other ancillary laws in Arizona. But one thing about my practice here in Arizona, at least, is that 
even with the recent decriminalization of small amounts of marijuana and the ability to sell recreationally in Arizona, the most recent Legalization Act specifically carved out employers' ability to restrict their employees from using marijuana. And so it is not only not illegal to test for marijuana in Arizona and, and take actions based on that as an employer, but it is specifically legal to do so. So what we're looking at more uh, is with Amazon's announcement, and again, Amazon's general pulse on employment matters in general, I mean, they employ almost, I think, 1.3 million people in the United States, is that other employers are going to look to see how this works for them, uh, not, not only what they've done and, and simply follow suit because it's Amazon, but were there any repercussions? Were there any negative effects? What were the positive effects? And certainly that's something that we'll be looking at. I just recently, as an example, took a look at their stock price over the last two weeks to see you know, if there had been any, any major hit. I didn't expect there to be one. A lot of stocks are going down right now on news that the Fed interest rates are going to rise. However, Amazon stock's gone up $250 in the last two weeks, let's call it. So they've, they've seen the exact opposite move. And that says something, that you can take a position like this, you can take a stance like this, and you can make major innovations, and the greater financial world is not going to punish you for it. Trying to understand the incentive for other companies smaller companies, and most companies are much smaller than Amazon, to implement a policy like Amazon's. Like what, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, like what's in it for them? What's great for employees who are maybe using marijuana as medicine, or even recreational users that they don't just don't have to worry about it. You know, if they if they have a joint over the weekend or whatever, they have to come back to work and, and worry about that. But I'm just wondering from the company's perspective, what is the advantage of allowing, of limiting these drug testing? Like what? Yeah, absolutely. And to me, the, the biggest advantage is it makes them more competitive in the employment space. If I have the choice to work for Walmart, for example, and I, I have... To be clear, I didn't look up Walmart-specific testing standards, but if I have the chance to comparing them to something com comparable to Amazon, I can work at Walmart and face drug tests, potentially random drug tests, or I can choose Amazon where I know that there's no drug test. Well, if I am somebody who uses marijuana either medicinally or just recreational, like you said, just as a weekend, evening type of thing, a replacement for other people's uh, post-work happy hour or glass of wine, I'm going to choose Amazon every time. And so all things being equal, if you're somebody who is a consumer of cannabis products, you're going to choose the company that allows you to continue your lifestyle versus the company that wants to restrict you. So that is the the major benefit that I see, especially short term. Yeah. And I think it, you're speaking to, you know, I think there might be a stereotype, certainly not among people who are listening to this podcast for the most part, but a stereotype that there are that the people who consume cannabis are kind of lazy. You wouldn't want those kind of employees anyway. They're kind of stoner, like Cheech and Chong type parodies. And yet we're finding out more and more that the people who use cannabis are generally law abiding, hardworking citizens. Many need to use 
cannabis for for certain medical conditions. So it just highlights the the fact that the suits are also (laughs) using cannabis just as much as the stoners. What's your personal experience with cannabis? How did you get into your line of of law? I'm sure among some of your colleagues, they're like, well, you're in cannabis law. You know, how did you find that? I'm sure you didn't start off as a cannabis lawyer. So how did you get into it? No, it's, it's, that's an excellent question. And it's, it's funny that you pose it like that. But some of my colleagues are kind of surprised because when I, I first got into, I, I would say I first got into cannabis full time when I joined Bianchi and Brand, which was about a year and a half ago. I had previously had some professional dealings with cannabis. I had been introduced to people who were trying to do different things in the cannabis space in the last, let's call it seven years, which would be relatively shortly after Arizona legalized medicinal marijuana. And I had been involved in in a couple of litigations, actually, involving business disputes with cannabis owners, which uh, is a very interesting thing, especially the, the old days, as we'll call them, in the last decade of legalized cannabis in Arizona, is, is, is it was uh, a little bit of the wild, wild west. People were figuring out what to do, figuring out how to, how to put contracts together. And so, so it was very interesting. But then I, I moved back into more traditional roles. In fact, my, before I came over here, I was generally doing uh, insurance coverage defense. So I was defending large insurance companies, coverage opinions, looking at uh, how insurance contracts works and litigating those as well. And I had known Justin Brandt, uh, one of the shareholders uh, at Bianchi and Brandt here, for several years. And uh, he introduced me to, uh, to Laura Bianchi when he started working with her. And honestly, it captivated me what they were doing. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It is as far as being an attorney can be a bit monotonous, <laughs> depending on what practice you are in. It is not so with cannabis. Every day is, every day is different. Every day is interesting. We have a lot of very different clients from the small single license clients to several uh, multi-state operators that are getting into the nine-figure type of valuations and revenues. And so to answer your question more directly, when uh, when Laura and Justin started this firm and I started discussing it with Justin, it just, it was so interesting what they were doing. I couldn't help myself but come over when the opportunity was given to me. Yeah, I think more and more lawyers are seeing that it, it's a, an incredible opportunity and maybe more exciting than the than the work they were doing previously. What is the sort of number one issue that your clients deal with in a, in a legal matter? What is the sort of most challenging issue for companies that you work with in the space, do you think, if you had to name, or maybe the top two? Yeah, no, that that is an absolute, that's a, that's a very good question. I might take just a moment. Yeah, think about it. I know, it's, I know it's hard to imagine. I know it's hard to, to step back because I'm sure you deal with so many different legal issues, but I'm just curious maybe to help other companies understand why they would get legal representation and what, you know, what some of the, the issues are. And I think what it comes down to, it is, it's really just helping them manage growth. And there is, there's a lot that goes into this growth and a lot of legal issues. I mean, first you have the regulatory issues. Um, it is a, a very, I mean, here in Arizona, it is a very heavily regulated industry. There are very specific regulations. And over the last year and even in the next year, 
we've seen a lot of changes. I mean, Proposition 207 was approved by the Arizona voters. And that's uh, for everybody listening at home. That's the Arizona proposition that legalized recreational marijuana. It was signed into law about six months ago. And within a month, they were making recreational sales. So just just managing that, that I mean, that is a, is a complete change in what they were doing. Whole new regulations, whole new set of laws on what they can sell, how much they can sell, who they can sell it to uh, is pretty straightforward, adults over the age of 21. But the specific products changed. And so with that, with that comes demand. Now you have a whole, I mean, you went from having the medical marijuana program in Arizona grew quite a bit during the pandemic. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I remember every month that I'd look at it, it would be a 10 to 20% increase, it felt like, in medical marijuana cards. And so that was driving growth. Now you have another few million people that are potential customers. That drives demand. To meet that demand, it's all in the state of Arizona. We can't call California. We can't call Denver to get excess product. Our our clients have to grow it. They have to produce it. They have to create it. And so there, there in lies a lot of challenges to, again, the regulatory challenges are number one. Every single time you change or grow, even if you change the layout of your dispensary, for example, there are regu- regulatory filings. But now uh, there's an increased demand for real estate. And it is uh, interesting in Arizona. I'm sure it's like this in, in every other state as well. There are specific zoning requirements, certain distance setbacks for every single jurisdiction in Arizona has different ones. And so cities that are right next to each other differ, and they're ever-changing as well. So to answer your question, I think just overall helping managing the growth. Yeah, the navigating it. There's just so many restrictions. Do you think there's too many regulations? I mean, it keeps you busy. (laughs) It's good for lawyers, but but I wonder (laughs) if it's... Yeah, it's a loaded question. Exactly. Yeah, personally, it's good for you. But I mean, is it sort of like stepping back if you weren't in this business? I mean, does it seem like it's overregulated at this point? Well, in Arizona, I would say probably not. I think that what I've seen, at least in Arizona and a little bit in Utah, as I've been getting into Utah as well, is that the license holders work hand in hand with the departments of health services. So for example, the Arizona Department of Health Services oversees the entire cannabis medical and recreational programs. So I think that is a huge benefit to the citizens of Arizona that not only can the license holders work with DHS, but DHS is happy to work with the license holders to make this whole thing more efficient, to make it safer, to make these products better. And to be honest with you, as an attorney, I don't see issues with the products. And I think that's that's a great thing. I think that it is certain that the regulation will change and just doubling back to the MORE Act or descheduling. It's going to be very interesting if something like that happens because the next question immediately will be, what does that mean for interstate commerce? What, what do we do there? And exactly how is the federal government going to regulate that? And so I know a lot of people are huge proponents of descheduling and, and federal deregulation, but 
a lot of us know that well, there's going to be a whole lot more regulation <laughs> that comes with that as well. But I understand in California, it might be a little different, that things uh, might be a little bit more difficult. Uh, I don't personally deal in California law. In fact, I try not to if I can, but there are attorneys in this office who are licensed in California who have practice in California. Yeah, there's a lot of complaining. I hear most entrepreneurs in California are not happy with the way of the regulation with the, of the market and feel like it it's almost prohibitively expensive and it also enables the massive illicit market to thrive as they, you know, lower prices and don't have to be responsible for the same kind of regulation. So that's one perspective. I mean, I'm sure you'd find somebody who's very pro-California regulation, <laughs> but it's interesting to, to, to hear in different states and the, the different sort of issues. And, and you definitely hear a lot of overlap between the issues. Well, this has been really interesting and enlightening. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining the show. People want to find out more about you or about your firm. Where do they go? Yeah. BianchiBrandt.com. Right. And that's B-I-A-N-C-H-I. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Should I spell that? <laughs> no, it's okay. It'll be in the show notes. So you can see, you'll see, you can read it in the show notes. <laughs> but yeah. BianchiBrandt.com. Again, my name is Nick Scavio. Um, you can see all about our firm. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, we welcome uh, potential clients and people reaching out to us to, to learn more about, you know, the programs and, and just to touch upon in addition to Arizona and Utah, our firm also has clients outside of those states. So we're licensed in Colorado, New Mexico, Missouri, California, and see a lot of multi-state operators and help a lot of multi-state operators. That's great. Well, listen, thanks again for joining the show. And let's hope that there's less drug testing, unnecessary drug testing across the board and people take Amazon's example to heart. And also, let's, uh, let's hope that more act gets passed. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's rightaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later. <laughs>